Awesome. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Reframe series. And today we are talking about um, feminist empowerment with Manu, um, who is currently in India. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, Manu, take it away. Tell us a little bit about just like where you are and how you're feeling and how you're doing. I'm feeling currently very hot. The temperature has definitely changed dramatically. Um, literally today, um, it was like sweater wearing weather yesterday, but now I'm like dripping. But anyways, um, so yeah, like Arpita said, my name is Manu Multani. Um, I'm a PhD student in anthropology and social change, um, focusing on several different things. Um, but this question of feminist empowerment really is something that's been circulating between Arpita and I for a very long time, if I might say, um, because we lead different diasporic lives and we always tend to kind of mentor each other and try to make sense of our lives based on the complexities of being Indian in an American context. Um, and I think now being in India and kind of also thinking about what's happening in like in the cultural heritage sense of like practicing feminism and what empowerment really should mean in the Indian context and not in the Western context and how it's actually different, right? Um, and so Arpita, I remember you mentioning something about how the Indian context of empowerment needs to include economics, right? Yeah, um, so I was just thinking, so I think um, there, there are a couple of things that I'm I'm constantly thinking about um, when I think about what really leads to empowerment for women um, in society for both myself as a woman um, and as I think about in the future, you know, if I if I have kids or um, as I think about looking at the past, my own relationships with my mother and my aunts and the women in my life, um, and I think. Um, I think economics plays a huge role in our perspectives of what is possible for us um, and what we are willing to fight for. Um, so I think that there's been, um, I think when, when we as women are encouraged to marry really early in life, we are not really... Um, we're not, we don't ever have the conversation of what are we giving up when we marry early? Um, I think it's like this idealized thing um, that is, um, this romance is always an, um, like, a, we are, it's always romanticized this concept of love, but there, a marriage is not just you loving someone and being in a relationship with them, right? It also comes with conditions. And when you are an adult, uh, a loving relationship also involves a lot of responsibility. Um, and by encouraging ourselves, our women, um, our, our young girls to get married very early, we are basically denying them the opportunity to have their own personal freedom and develop their own personal sense of self um, and their own desires. Um, and instead, um, we are saying it is only okay for you to be um, to be in this, like yourself, if you're in the role of wife or mother. 
Um, and I think a lot of women never get the opportunity to um, to have their own independent sense of self by uh, you know earning their own income, living on their own, um, learning about their own preferences, their likes, their dislikes, what they want to do in life, um, and um, and allowing that to be okay outside of of being married. And sometimes marriage is not the right answer for everyone. Um, sometimes, like it can actually really, really hurt you if you marry the wrong kind of person, the kind of person who might be discouraging you, or uh, as or because you are in a relationship that requires a certain level of responsibility, um, that you have to give up your own personal desires or passions or goals in life in order to. Uh, to maintain this relationship. Um, and I think it's important to have that conversation um, as well. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And <clears throat> yeah, you brought up a lot of things that infringe on uh, one's self-sufficiency when this context, this, this practice of trying to empower women is also done incorrectly, right? Um, is when um, certain organizations or like Western-based organizations come into India thinking, oh, you know, we're going to end child marriage or we're going to empower women by giving them these like micro loans and this is going to solve their issue. That's like a piece of the pie, you know? And, and it is a huge undertaking for any to say, oh, yeah, we're going to do this full sweep and we can answer every single facets of that issue. But I think the important point is to recognize that the Indian context is so embedded into complexities that are related to a religion, that are related to social stratification through caste, that are related to not just economic sort of bearings, but also the societies in which you live, learn, and grow, right? And so <clears throat> all of those things are kind of taken out, to, out of context when it comes to understanding empowerment more broadly, I think transnationally, because then you think it's kind of the same sort of uniform definition, and then there's the same sort of uniform approach, right? And how to like sort of resolve that or how to sort of like approach feminism or how to... Um, encourage empowerment. Um, and, and I think a lot of those sort of things that you mentioned are like the nuances that are kind of missing in the stories of like, what are the challenges of empowerment? Like, let's talk about that. You know, like what, what are things that are really happening? And I want to share a story to kind of pivot back into this point. Um, so I was having a conversation with somebody recently who was what it seems like was forced into an arranged marriage um, while she was a graduate student of law um, here in Punjab and was really um, had the potential to become a high court judge here in Punjab. According to her friend, that was also part of this conversation that I was having, who was saying that, you know, I really wish she tapped into her potential, that she was given the opportunity to pursue further her education, her career, rather than having to fall into the institution of marriage because that's what her parents wanted to do. 
and like sort of speaking with her, you know, human rights, international human rights was kind of her focus. And she's like always been about that life. But it was something that was kind of contradicting, right? Because it's like here she couldn't feel like she had the human right to really just voice what she wants to do. And she had also shared that, you know, she told her parents that even after getting married, she wants to go back to school. But they were like, no, you're not going to use this. What's the point? Um, <clears throat> and she's like, I have these lingering exams that will make me certified and make me at least have the potential. And, you know, while I coming from the U.S. with my own Western mindset was undoing one of the biases where I was like, why didn't you stand up for yourself? You know? But then I sort of st stepped back and I was like, well, she did stand up for herself because when your mom, when your dad, when your brother, when your sister, when your grandma, when everybody who's living with you is telling you otherwise, how are you, how are you even going to feel like your voice is valued, right? How are you even going to feel like you have something valuable to say? So then how do you actually then, like you had mentioned earlier too, like how do you step out of your home to be an empowered person outside of the home when you're not an empowered person inside your home, right? And so like these examples or this example of her story was just sort of like, you know, how is she going to navigate her life? She was married off to somebody who lives in California, who is a truck driver. She didn't know what city he uh, lived in and kind of was like, I had to just kind of go with the flow. And somebody from the outside would be like, oh, she's so naive. You know, what happened? Why did that happen? How come she isn't so invested? Well, when your heart and your soul and your passion is not aligning with that, why would she be invested? You know? And then on top of that, then that's an additional struggle to have to balance now another person in your life who then now is going to be like, well, your family doesn't even care about you. Why should I care about you? You know, like I see they're taking my side, so I don't have to put any much effort into taking your side. So that lays such a terrible foundation, excuse me, <clears throat> like a terrible foundation into how you can even like pivot onto anything else, you know, like how do you even spring yourself up from something like that? And, and I think that's the context that is really missing, especially as like mass immigrations happening, you know, diasporic folks are coming back to India, trying to understand India and like, you know, all of these things are now starting to surface and be, and I hope they're talked about more and understood better um, in order to do something. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think we all like, um, there's like, I'm, I'm on Instagram and I, I see a lot of folks talking about breaking generational traumas. Um, and what that means. And I, and I think it's also important to discuss how are generational traumas created? Um, and like, what is the underlying context in which all of these things happen? Right. And it's like this compounding, um, experience, account, a, a, a compounding of experiences in which you feel like you have absolutely no control over the direction of your life. And your, um, your voice is not um, given prominence or taken into account when those decisions are made. Um, and that's really, really hard. Um, it's, and especially as a woman, like, you know, when, when you feel like you have no options, but to kind of follow these things and this, this concept of fe like feminism, um, it just seems like a very abstract thing when you're in the real world and you're having to deal with these challenges where you feel like you have no social supports. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, 
<clears throat> I know this hits home a lot for a lot of us, you know, and yeah, and it's the truth that there is an intersection with so many other facets of your life, you know, and that it does have multi-generational effects too. Um, how these institutions and these legacies are carried forward along with all the mental health repercussions that also then are also carried forward through these sort of tools um, and these legacies, these rituals and traditions, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I kind of want to go back to a point that you had made, you know, like the romanticizing concept of love. Um, how, how do you think that fits in the Indian context? I think we, um, it's really strange. And, and I'm, I'm just speaking of my own personal experience, right? I can't, I can't. We both are, yeah. But I, I can say that when, um, like, I think we're raised to believe that like, um, like you watch these Bollywood movies and, or I've watched these Bollywood movies and I've, I've felt like, oh, there's like this love um, thing that will solve any challenge and it will, you know, create pathways for, for you in life. And it will open up uh, these things and people like when someone really loves you, they'll do this, this, and this. Um, and I think um, when you have that type of mentality, you know, sometimes things do go that way, but but most of the time, a lot of it has to do with the character of the person that you are marrying. And if you are, if you're so fixated on this concept of love, you can't see the person who's directly in front of you and whether they're actually a good match for you as is. Um, and so I, I think teaching, or at least for me, I wish someone had, had been more like, just kind of straightforward and honest um, about like, hey, like you need a very like functional, like healthy, strong relationship. And those things require you to like, you to be like, show up as your full self, to have your life together, to have, um, you know, like to, to develop the sense of self-respect, to have the self-love, to be financially stable. Um, and, um, and then when you enter a relationship, you can approach it from a very healthy space and manage it no matter what, no matter how the relationship is going, rather than like this relationship will solve your problems or it will, you know, fix everything in your life um, or it'll give you freedom. Right. Um, it's I think oftentimes like um, and then and like it can be very appealing to fall into the trap of, oh, I can escape my current situation if I add on this new person um, without understanding that you're adding a lot of additional complexity to your life and having to manage a lot of things when you're adding on this additional person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you kind of, you're alluding to this concept that women have to grapple with because you're kind of, your liberation is tied to a man, right? Like in a patriarchal society, in an Indian patriarchal society, your liberation is, oh yeah, you, your dad is the one who's controlling your liberation, or your grandfather or your uncle's controlling your liberation when you're not married. Then when you're married, your husband is and his family is, and, 
and you're free in that sense that you're uh, you're let go of your former family and then given into your new family and then your liberation is supposed to be centered through that family's definition versus like no my liberation is my own and that i need to determine my own freedom and i need to determine sort of what makes me happy and fulfilled and and growing and what i'm bringing into the relationship versus how you're saying right it's kind of like the the institution of marriage in itself is romanticized to to falsely make women believe that their liberation is tied into marriage right and that that's how you get your freedom is that you are a liberated woman if you are actually a wife because now you are in like in this privileged sort of social category now right like you know being a wife now and being able to do like research in india too definitely gives me a lot of privileges actually now that i think about it like reflecting on it is that you know people respect you more people have this anticipation that they can talk to you about mature things like sexuality because you are married now you know about these things you know so it's like really interesting then to kind of see the the way <clears throat> marriage is kind of like formed into the social construction in of itself for women and how it's become like an identity tool um yeah, yeah. No, it's just, that's so deep. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, yeah. No, I, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm just, refer I'm like thinking about my own life. And I think even in my own family, like um, growing up, I think there was a sense that like um, the, the, like my father was supposed to be the one that kind of managed the, the credit cards or did this and did that. Right. And why is that like um why is it that uh, we we grow up with the sense of like one person should have control over the finances rather than that both people should be financially empowered and being you know um and have their own assets like um why i i think we really really need to start questioning ourselves more of like why is it that we we feel that women are always supposed to be like more in the caring role? Why is it that they can never be the um, the the person in the relationship who is the 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 star or the one receiving the spotlight? Um, yeah, because then men will feel like they have nothing to live for. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Not really, though, but, <laughs> but like, it's no, not a, it's not a, it's not a, yeah, it's not a binary thing. I think for me, it's more like the power that people want to hold on to is associated with a binary thing, right? That if we keep marriages heterosexual, if we keep women in a sub subjective kind of role, subjugate them, if we keep on continuing this institution, and the people that have power, i.e. patriarchal men, then they'll continue to have that power, right? So that's the, that's the real challenge is that being able to unleash yourself for something like that is really challenging. Um, I, okay, this, this right here, uh, this is a thing that I really want to address because I, I, I often think about this a lot, which is that 
people who desire to hold on to power um, are actually the more they're the the more powerless person in the relationship and in some ways because their own insecurities their own fears um prevent them from having the like the peace and the sense of, of of self within the relationship that would actually allow it to foster its growth um totally so i i like and i think um this idea of control right um mm-hmm. There are not very many things that you can actually control in life. Um, you like, yes, you like when you have more money and more financial stability, you have more like control in terms of your day to day life. But a lot of things, um, you know, they end up being outside of your control and the, the flow of your life doesn't move according to your plans exactly. There, and uh, there, are, they're impacted by significant life events like birth, death, um, you know, like um, a lot of a lot of things happen, sickness happens. And um, it's, ju- it's something that if we allow ourselves to accept and move forward with, I think we're a lot happier. Yeah, I think you took it exactly where I've been hovering these last few days, right? That it's not just an effed up world for women. It's an effed up world for men too, you know? And there's so much pressure to be the breadwinner. There's so much pressure to be a proud, strong man, you know, who's like muscular and has his shit together and can like fight anyone, you know, like as if that's all you need to do in your life. But like the the point is, is that it's so ingrained that you're supposed to be such a certain person, regardless of gender and in a non-binary situation too. Like you're, it's so ingrained in you that you're supposed to be a certain version of your person that you actually aren't your person, you know? And that like those sorts of, vulnerabilities then get shoved away, put away, and then you're on this constant battle with yourself, and then you're in a constant battle with other people, and then you're just perpetuating these cycles, and then it's just sort of like, well, who the heck's happy? Nobody then is fucking happy. Like, what is this society we're living in when you can't feel like you have the resources and the tools that you need to address your vulnerabilities, and then you're afraid and then it's through fear that you're like operating to exhibit this control because that's the only way you feel reassured that you exist. You know, it's it's a really sad and fucked up way to live. Uh, and yeah, it I is. Think, yeah, it really is. Um, and it's it's hard to it's hard to feel that like that's how most people live their lives. Um, and. And what does the world look like in which you you actually get what you want, like what and your desires, and you are able to express them, and that those needs are are able to be met. Like that's that's a that's such a like a fantasy for most people. Yeah, and it's also sort of the sad truth because, like you know, you are in a place 
where you're just trying to contribute to the struggle, you know, and you're hustling and you're just living in a capitalist society that really isn't telling you healthy or not, you know, it's just telling you go, 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 you know, there's like no room to kind of spend time with yourself, to spend time with your family, to understand one another, to communicate, to learn how to communicate. Like children nowadays are not really given that opportunity either, right? Like everything's so digital, so individualized, and so focused on computers and phones and stuff that even communication is getting affected. So it's like those basic premises on how you're supposed to connect with people and make conversation are now being revised and all this stuff, like reframed, then how are you going to become an individual that can ask the right questions, that can voice your own voice, you know? Um, so yeah, it's definitely a, a really convoluted way of living. Um, not that I'm saying that I have my shit together, but I'm just sort of saying that I like, you know, um, just truth be told, like we're all struggling and it's become a realization definitely in my life that I'm just sort of like, well, this is a trap. <laughs> You know, like, this is frankly a trap. Like, I am, I've been living my life so passively where, you know, I'm just sort of like, well, this, these are the milestones I'm supposed to hit. Like, you know, this is great. This means I'm successful, right? If I'm hitting these milestones. But it's like, no, what, what, what truly makes me happy? You know, like, I need to focus on that. What's truly make? and I don't know if that's like a Western way of living too, is like really centering your own happiness and like being so individualistic about it. But even here, you know, in India, like, Youth are thinking about their futures and they're thinking about what's going to make them happy. And it's really sad because they're coming from a place of hopelessness because not having a pathway kind of set out for them, you know? So it's kind of flipped where it's like where we can feel like we have a certain pathway. We're supposed to hit these milestones and like there are jobs for us. There are careers. There is an education. You're going to get something out of it ideally, right? But like here, a lot of folks that are in college, you know, and universities and stuff and trying to complete their graduate school or whatever to become lawyers and doctors and stuff like that, really find it challenging to be hopeful because they are so uncertain whether or not they're going to get a job and what kind of job they're going to get because they know that if they do then get a job, what more sacrifices are have to make because they're not well paid, they're not benefited, they're not in their hometowns, they're not able to take care of their families, like all of these things. And then we're kind of like circling back into economics, right? Then then women are kind of the ones that are pulled back when all of these uncertainties are what you have to face after you do go through school. So then it's like, well, what's better? One person just faces that uncertainty and then that's the son or that's the husband, right? So yeah, it, it's it's a very complex sort of situation when you talk about the context of empowerment um, and sort of how that can be a lived reality. Yeah. And I think, I think it is often really hard because I think um, this concept so there, there's, I think the individualistic perspective and the the more of the community or family centered perspective. They're they're very two different approaches to life, um, and they're they're both beautiful in their own ways. Um, but 
sometimes the the family does come at the cost of the individual um and for for everyone there are a lot of compromises that get made and to to make a healthy functioning family I, and um and when when you want that kind of life like you you really value and prize those things um and when in like in the US we have very individual lives and it produces another type of um of community right i think where everyone is kind of going after their own dreams going after their own desires but we don't have that deep sense of community that exists within the indian context or the the same level of social support not not works that that exist as well um so there there are there are a lot of positives and and challenges that are, that arise with each kind of um each kind of sense of of how a community works um i just find it really sad sometimes to think that like and my like when i think my only vision like version of what like a community or a family centered um like version of life means um as a woman would be to have to um give up like my strong sense of self um and um and like as someone who's like gone overcome a lot of challenges in in my life um finding a partner who can you know is feels the same things um and is able to like have also managed the same kind of challenges or been able to do similar i think those are like really important um and and i think it's it's important to to have conversations with women about not just finding any partner or what the what the outside image of that partner looks like but what does what are the internal feelings um that you you have and do you feel strengthened do you feel empowered when you're with someone um or do you feel disempowered um do you do you feel like you are in an obligation on it and it is a responsibility that you have to fulfill which in some sense a, a, like a marriage always is but um but also that you're receiving the the positive support and the strength that you need to also be the the version of yourself that you really want to be. Yeah. Those are great questions I think for any relationship, right? Not just a marriage, but a friendship or a relationship with your boss or with your professor or fellow students or fellow colleagues, right? It's like your peers like is this like a happy and supportive conversation? Do you feel energized or drained after those conversations? Do you feel like you are mutually giving and receiving in these relationships, right? Like I feel like those are also the things that we often don't kind of consider because we're also still trying to discover ourselves. But if you start asking those questions, those questions could be really helpful in sort of navigating what is it that you really want and then what is it that you want to prioritize, right? and so you give your time to those sorts of things and then hopefully that's where you find what's fulfilling for you and then 
comes a partner and then those conversations, because you've done that introspection, that you kind of have considered this in other relationships that you have. You like this about your mom. You don't like this about your mom. Like, you know, I know that these these are things that you're subconsciously also doing already, but like, you know, you need, then you can take that and then bring that sort of like sense of, okay, this is my control. This is what I want, like out of this relationship and then take that on into romantic relationships. Right. And I think that's also the thing that's kind of missing is that you're not really trained to think that way. Right. You're kind of trained to just focus on the hustle and do what you need to do. And then eventually your partner will be fine. <laughs> you know, like it's like a secondary thing. Um, but yeah, I think knowing yourself and being able to ask those questions is really important. That's such a big step. Yeah. Are there, yeah, I, I mean, I got asked this question. I, I would love to know your perspective too on what do you think um, at, for yourself even, like what do you think would be more like, what are the things that could be done differently to make you feel that you have more strength or power or support in your own life as a woman? That's <laughs> Those are some hard ones. Yeah. That's touching a nerve. Um, no, it's not, it's not a hard one. Um, it's a multi-varied answer, you know? Um, and then it also sort of, you know, varies on your goals for your life. You know, like you're an evolving person. So empowerment's going to evolve for you too. You know, like what do you need? And like you said, you, you learn how to sort of like understand and differentiate between, okay, is this a sacrifice or is this something I really want to do? Right. Is this like really making me happy while I'm like trying to do something myself or is this also bringing harm to someone I love and I don't want to do that right like those are very hard to gra grapple with issues right which is why I think you know coming back to like women making the not being able to make the decision or like to stand up for themselves or whatever is because they're like I don't want to harm the rest of my family the rest of my family thinks this is what I'm supposed to do so how am I going to come up against that if 10 people are saying this is what I'm supposed to do, what's the harm in that? I'm the one that's going to bring them, right? And so I think eventually that's the, those are the kind of conversations that you have to kind of like differentiate. It's like, where's my happiness and where's the harm, you know? And I think from my life, like I've definitely shifted the way I kind of approach my family. Um, and sort of see if we don't see eye to eye, try to see eye to eye or try to see their perspective because I've shifted my way of thinking. Before it would be like, okay, like if my family is like saying something that I think is like very anti-feminist or whatever, I'm like, anger is my first response, you know? And then like frustration and then I'm debating and then I'm like kind of like going at it. And I'm like, shit, I'm freaking exhausted, you know? But like now I'm sort of like, okay, well, what could have been the situation in which that made you think that way, you know? And then I think that's empowering for me because I have control over my own emotions, you know, and I have like the discretion to be strong enough in my arguments because now I'm like, Oh, I'm trying to understand you, you know, like I love you and, and I care about where you stand and where this issue is. But now I'm actually like in a place where I can like emotionally filter through what you're saying 
and be able to like meet you where you're at, but then also be like, hey, listen to me too, you know? And I think that's like the struggles with empowerment is that you kind of need to figure out where you can stand your ground um, and what battles you want to fight, you know? Yeah. You kind of have to figure that out too. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, this is good because I think, um, I think it kind of creates um, a more honest lens of like, it's, it's not a, like this, um, it, we live on a spectrum, right? And, um, and we, our experiences of life, um, that's very based on, based on like kind of where we live and who we're surrounded by and what, what we have access to. Um, in our ability to even feel like that feminism is a thing that can be possible. Um, and, um, and that's okay. You know, like we don't, we don't need to, we don't need to like move to this 100% pure, amazing state. Um, like utopia. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think if we can take, small daily steps just for ourselves to do things that make us feel empowered on a daily basis. Um, that's good enough. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and, um, and I think if we get too in our own heads about, about these things as well, like we, we may uh, end up, you know, depressing ourselves or making us ourselves feel really like, um, a lot of pressure or, a sense of like hopelessness about, about these things. But if we mm -hmm. concentrate on the, this is the immediacy of where I am. And these are the things that I can control. And these are the things that I'm willing to say yes and no to. Um, and these are the fights that I'm willing to fight and choosing those very select few ones and really just trying to go at them. That's a lot. It is That's a lot, lot for any individual person to do in their life. Yeah, it is a lot. It is a lot. And, you know, and not everyone's going to have the opportunity to do even a bit of that, you know, and no effort is too small, you know, and yeah, I think, I think it'd be wrong to convey that there is that this is easy or whatever, you know, and, 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 you know, you're acknowledging that it's not, and that there, it, there are ways to kind of approach this from a more personal level to see how it could work for you, you know, and that's the best we can do is be encouraging, you know, um, be understanding of where that person is at, you know, and how either of us was struggling with that and how, that means for us, um, which I think is a good question to actually end with, you know, it's like, what is empowerment? What is feminist empowerment? What does that mean? Um, and I think I'll start with like sort of my vague ish definition. You know, I think it's just, I think it's understanding where power and privilege really work and operate. And also not just with people with you, but also within yourself and how you bring that into a relationship or into a context, you know? Because quite honestly, we do. We have 
power and privilege in different scenarios. Um, even the most depressed person, you know, could be in a situation where, you know, say with their child, you know, feels like they can exert some power um, and have a privilege or, you know, with their partner who is of different gender, you know, or same gender or whatever. But like, we all face oppression in different ways and we all face power and privilege in different ways is what I'm trying to say, essentially. Um, and I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, that they're, that we're all kind of in this complex spectrum, like you said, um, at some point in your life and how you kind of navigate that is empowerment, you know, being aware of it and how you navigate it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really like that sense of, um, like, yes, um, and being aware of your privileges and also your, like the things that oppress you. Um, yeah. This is why I don't like to go first because then the other person can't think of their own definition or it gets like too like focused on what I had just said. And then, yeah, I hate that's why. Yeah. No, no, you're fine. I'm, I'm, so I think um, for me, something that um, I think for me, it's like um, feeling em empowered as a woman is also feeling the ability to um, to feel human, you know, to to be able to express all of my emotions, um, even, you know, I think as women, we're um, it's often um being angry, um, or at least in the American context, being like being angry or being very passionate is often seen as a very like negative thing. Um, like it's a negative stereotype. Whereas like that same passion and the same um, anger in a man might appear like very, um, like he's a strong like awesome person <laughs> whatever <laughs> like a woman He's is a like dude. Um, yeah um it's kind of a scene almost like the woman is like villainized for the same exact thing um and so i think part of that for me is also like understanding um why why is it that um why is it that anger looks so bad on a woman right? Mm. Like, because mm. that, that has to do with ourselves as much as it has to do with, um, like the person, right? So, mm -hmm. um, I often, and this is something that I, um, I have co uh, consciously become aware of. And so I think part of, part of feminist empowerment is also just being able to, um, deconstruct your identity outside of what society tells you your identity is, is supposed to be or what that idealized right. version of yourself is. And so right. oftentimes um, when I'm in spaces and people have reactions to things, I always have to create like a buffer for myself, right? Mm -hmm. which, mm -hmm. um, which is that this person is responding a certain way. Mm -hmm. That response, um, as much as it has to do with my, my action or behavior, also has to do with that person. And being able to recognize that the the person's reaction um, 
is not a direct consequence of your behavior. The person's reaction is a reflection of of how they've grown up, how they've spent their lives, how they've seen things. And their response to you is going to be based on their individual character and um, and being able to to understand um, in that instance, for example, if someone sees you as an like an angry person because you're expressing your needs with passion, um, that has to do with them, um, right? Like that's that response is their own response. It has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. Like your behavior um, and your your um, a person can can see those things both positively and negatively. And so being able to to then reflect back to yourself and say, oh, like, who am I? And self-validate and be able to say, like, this person may be responding to me in this particular way, but that does not mean that I am that way. I am, I am, um, like, the, the, and I am passionate. I am strong. I am, um, you know, I, I have a strong sense of self and I know what my needs are. Um, so being able to just recognize those things and understand like your own humanness um, and understand you're not perfect in how you convey everything. But um, being able to have that buffer and and know yourself, I think is really like that to me is empowerment. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. I think... Yeah, how you sort of, you can, you know, take that, you can take that sort of um, great tool, I feel like, also into romantic relationships, right? And, you know, sort of like, that's why knowing sort of what you want and what you need in a relationship is very important. Um before maybe doing a deeper commitment, you know, whatever that may look like for you. But yeah, it's really interesting how sort of managing your own self ends up becoming a strategy and a tool um, to feel more empowered. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then do you think there's like a a takeaway or something that you think is important to mention? So I was like, when we were talking earlier, I was like, I want to take out like a, like a chalkboard or like a white sheet of paper and be like, Mm -hmm. okay, these are the different levels of like empowerment. Yeah. (laughs) So I think um, in in line with that, I think that um, something that I want to draw out just like, kind of based on what we've been talking about during the session is mm-hmm. that um, empowerment, like female empowerment happens on multiple levels, right? It's the personal mm-hmm. level. Um, then it's the, the family, the society, the laws um, that are, that are kind of encoding kind of some of those, those tools of, of, of oppression. Um, and so um and we can't like we can uh, address all of those things at the same time, but we, as one individual, cannot. And so it's um, it's really about like trying to work 
as much as we can in the areas that we can um, at in in our yeah basically in our ability to um, over over our lifetimes because this is you know this is not an issue that's going to be yeah yeah I mean and there is you know I think my takeaway is sort of like there is a beautiful life to sort of evolve and to sort of you know step into but you know everyone's level of disempowerment is also very different you know um and what they're experiencing and it's hard to to be like oh yeah here's just some simple tools and stuff like that you know the the issue is far more complex than we have answers for i have answers for um but i hope that like the major takeaway was that there might be some level of encouragement or some more extended conversation that you feel like you can have with a pure peer or mentor or somebody that you really love and care about. Um, and I hope that for everybody, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for watching today. I hope this was uh, an interesting conversation and gave you a lot of food for thought for your own life. Um, and I know it definitely gave me a lot of food for thought. So thank you for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode. Yeah. Bye. Bye.